This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome into the podcast. It is absolutely crazy how much has happened uh, at Toyota Center and in this summer, the summer of 2017, and even since we did the last podcast, there were, you know, we talked about how we felt Chris Paul was going to end up coming here. That has actually happened. There are crazy rumors about Carmelo Anthony and Daryl Morey possibly getting his superstar trio that he's been looking for since he came here uh, over 10 years ago. Um, and the biggest shocker of all, uh, I think, is that Les Alexander is now selling the team. My guest with me today, you know him uh, extremely well, David Weiner, a.k.a. Beamathug of the board, salary cap guru, a lawyer here in Houston. David, thanks for doing this with me. My pleasure as always, Dave. You know, I, I, we're not going to do this in chronological order because I think there's a lot to talk about as far as the team, but recently Les Alexander sort of dropped the bombshell via Tad Brown, the, the um, CEO of the team, that he's looking to sell. Um, and I got to tell you, David, the moment I heard that news, I my heart just kind of sank a little bit, like like this is not good. Um, I just... I just get this feeling that, um, you know, everything is going to change when it doesn't need to. We're right here at the cusp of something at least potentially good. Um, and, you know, now we're, we're, we're talking about possibly going for a championship, uh, and, and Les Alexander's looking to sell. And, and I thought about really what that means for people who work for the team, um, what it means for fans who are used to, I would say almost spoiled by the fact that the Rockets are always looking for uh, titles and championships. And we just don't know what's going to happen with a guy who's coming in and uh, guy or girl, excuse me, who wants to buy the team. Yeah. I mean, a lot of Rockets fans that have historically been critical of Les Alexander, um, you know, be careful what you wish for, because, you know, I think by any objective metric, um, he has been one of the best owners in the league over the last 20 years. Um, I'm personally really appreciate him as a, as a good owner who's gone out and do, done what it takes to, to try to win. Uh, doesn't always work out, but uh, you know that you have an owner that's willing to spend the money when it is prudent. Um, I can also appreciate the times when the Rockets didn't spend money when it would have been wasteful and harmful long-term. And you're absolutely right, Dave, that the unknown, the unknown is, is, is a little frightening that we don't know what kind of owner we're going to get. But for those who, who are not Les Alexander fans, be careful what you wish for because, uh, you know, odds are the next owner is not going to be quite as good. Now, maybe he'll be better. Maybe he'll be about as good as Les Alexander, but there's no guarantee of that. And, you know, it's interesting. I think you made the point uh, on Twitter or possibly on the board. I can't remember where I read it that uh, 
you know, this is the, the, probably the best chance for him to sell at peak value. You know, you look at the Rockets. They, in his tenure because of Yao Ming, I mean, he owes a, a tremendous amount to Yao Ming. They are a extremely popular team globally, certainly in China. Um, he locked up Harden. I mean, you could tell he's been thinking about this for a while. He locked up Harden, locked up Daryl Morey. When, you know, some people thought, well, you know, why lock up the GM when you would want to be flexible for a new owner? Well, you've got one of the best GMs, in my opinion, the best uh, out there, and you've got him locked up. I think at a minimum, it rewards Daryl if a new owner does want to have a new uh, GM or president. Um, it rewards Daryl for all of his of his hard work. Um and, you know, you've got a Joe Chi, I mean, a, a prospect who has international appeal. Um, you've got you just landed Chris Paul. And really, I thought the beauty of it as well is he's getting out before he has to commit long term to Chris Paul, because I think over, you know, the tenure of a four or five year contract over that span, he's probably going to decline. And I think he's looking at this as this is the best time to sell. I agree. Financially speaking, I can't imagine there's a better time. Franchises are at peak value. Uh, the the new national TV money is rolling in now. Um, you know, like you said, the Rockets have really strong ties in China, and you know, uh, market conditions can change over a few years. So you never know what the you know what the market for an NBA franchise is going to be five years from now. Um, will the China market be as invested in the Rockets as they are now? Um, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen with the Rockets' core? Harden could decline in a couple of years. Um, I, I think just from a business standpoint, this was a great time to sell. Uh, but as a Rockets fan, you know, as we just discussed, uh, my preference would be for Les Alexander to stick around a few more years. Yeah, I felt the exact same way. Um, it, Things are going to change at Toyota Center. I mean, I, I could see some people leaving um, that work there uh, just because they've, you know, got certain ties. Certainly, Tad Brown is a Les Alexander guy. Um, I'm assuming he would probably go in a move of just of his own uh, his own decision. I would assume um, it's going to. Well, be- I don't know. I don't know about that because because I mean he's going to be running the the sale of the team, so there's a good chance the new owner may may align with, uh, with Tad philosophically. So there's no guarantee that Tad leaves. In fact, there's a good chance that a successful bidder um, might be so, in part because he gets along so well with Tad. Because yeah. Tad's going to have a lot of control on this transaction. Certainly, certainly. And I don't mean to single out Tad, or I was just using that as an example of, uh, you know, somebody handpicked by Les Alexander. And I feel like somebody who comes in, um, you know, at a uh, – you know, two billion or more dollar price tag is going to want their people uh, running the show. Um, it's going to be very interesting, in my personal opinion, uh, to see who who does this and who makes you know who comes out as the high bidder here. I mean, this could be an overseas group. It could be somebody from China. It could be. Uh, I mean, there are names thrown around. I, I hear Dikemi Matumbo now is is trying to you know wants to get a group together. Uh, you know, uh, Tillman Fertitta has been a, a name thrown out there. Um, you know, we don't know. We're all it's just suspecting at this point. But I have to think somebody's going to come up with some crazy money offer uh, for the Rockets and and going to take it. And when you're talking about spending crazy money, whether it's a plaything or whatever, 
they're going to want to be involved. And I think that's the beauty of, uh, you know, how we've been spoiled. I mean, Les Alexander has been involved. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's a completely hands-off owner, but he has no doubt um, relied and trusted his basketball people. And I think that's um, what, you know, I, I, I've always respected about him. Now, granted, I, I did not like the fact that he always placed a uh, sort of, uh, demand that they do not tank. And some people like that. Some people, you know, my, like myself, didn't at a time when I felt like they could have uh, improved. But uh, they did work it out. I mean, they got hardened and turned that franchise around. Um, and so I think he's had some, some good and bad things, but but predominantly good, mostly good. Uh, Les Alexander has had a great run here. So I think we're going to all miss him. Um so that's the thing I, I, that I'm worried about. Here we are right on the cusp of adding that third star with Carmelo and, and, and trying to make something happen. And, you know, how does this change those plans? If, if a sale happens here in the next month or two or before the season starts, you know, how does that change everything? And I think that's what, um, you know, my concern was. And, and I think it's a well-founded one. I mean, I, I, my guess is they're they're going to be looking for a new owner that is – you know, obviously they're willing to spend if they're going to spend north of two billion on a on an NBA franchise. But you know, next summer, you know, as we'll talk about uh, some of the additions in, in in a few minutes. But the Rockets' payroll next summer, if they bring back everyone that they want to have on the team this season, is going to be extremely high, involving the payment of a fairly decent chunk of change in luxury tax. And if the new, I, I, I'm confident that. Les Alexander, if he's still on the team, would pay the tax because he hasn't paid the tax that many years. Um, but we don't know what the risk profile is going to be for the for the new owner. I hope they line up someone that's willing to to take some cash flow losses, maybe in the first couple of years he own, owns the team uh, for a chance. You know, kind of the vanity of of, of owning a winner. Um, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see on that. So let's talk some basketball. We may end up coming back to this ownership issue because I think it's a big one. It's sort of a cloud, in my opinion. Now, maybe it's not a huge storm cloud, but it's definitely a cloud hanging over uh, the organization right now. I think, um, you know, I when they Rockets said that they had this major announcement that they were going to make, I, you know, I poked around and people were like, I have no idea. Um, and to be honest, I thought, I thought, well, you know, they're probably not telling the truth. They they probably have an idea and they're just not sure. But I really think people did not know this announcement was coming. Um, and so I think it's uh, kind of a bit of a shock. I mean, certainly the the head boss is, is changing, and that uh, that makes a lot of people uh, concerned and worried. So let's talk basketball, and we got to talk about Chris Paul. In the last podcast, we talked a lot about Paul, uh, the possibility there. One of the things I said was I really felt this was going to happen. And I think a month before, you know, or a few weeks before that podcast, I really didn't think this was a great fit here. Um, I didn't think Chris Paul – would be here. I just felt like, okay, if he's going to choose a team, he should choose San Antonio. Why would he choose, you know, that's going to probably need a point guard. Why would he choose Houston? They have the best, you know, certainly the highest uh, dishing point guard in the league and just had a monster season in James Harden. Um, But things changed for me when really I got very clear vibes from people with the Rockets that wink, wink, we're getting Chris Paul and we're acting as if we already have Chris Paul in, um, in talks that we're, you know, having, you know, besides that, that deal. So to me, it was a, it was a surprise that they acquired him via trade, but I felt like they were going to get him for whatever reason, just because the Rockets did, they felt extremely confident they were going to get Chris Paul. 
Um, but a lot of people maybe don't understand the salary cap reasons of this trade. Uh, you know, they think, why did you give up so much for a guy who wanted to sign with you outright? And I kind of, you know, understand with why they did what they did. But can you maybe explain uh, the purposes of this deal, which, in my opinion, was fascinating to sort of really pull the rug out from under free agency and, and snatch a player who was a big, going to be a big time free agent in a trade just days before he could become a free agent. Sure. And, you know, as you and I touched on the last, last podcast, this was not a scenario that either of us had contemplated. We, we had just assumed that Chris Paul would certainly opt out of his deal and become a free agent and sign for a four year max deal with the Rockets. Um, if, if he was definitely coming, um, what two things that I that I frankly just did not count on happening that did were number one, Chris Paul opted into his deal, basically leaving eleven million dollars on the table this summer, plus the long term security because you never know he get God forbid he get hit by a bus next week, um, and so he left a lot of money on the table by opting into his contract. That number one was a huge shock. Number two, the fact that the Clippers would agree to trade him to another Western Conference rival um, was fairly shocking to me. Um, Personally, I think the Clippers did the right thing uh, for their franchise. They made a smart move given that Chris, uh, I'm fairly sure he wasn't going to opt in unless this deal was lined up. But um, rather than losing Chris Paul for nothing, they got a nice haul with Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montres Harrell, and an assortment of other players. Um, but th- those two things were relatively shocking for me. And then the way the Rockets went about accomplishing this, uh, I think you and I were talking about before, but basically for people like me who love the salary cap, this was like salary cap porn. Um, the Rockets because of the KJ McDaniels and Tyler Ennis trades from the last trade deadline dropped themselves about three and a half million below the cap. And so what they did was when they lined up the Chris Paul trade, they knew that the salaries they had were not quite enough to get Chris Paul. So they went out, scoured the league looking for non-guaranteed contracts that they could fit into their cap room. And under salary cap rules, as long as you acquire a player in trade using cap room, so you're under the cap, you bring a player in that doesn't push you over the cap, you're still under the cap, you can then immediately use the player you just acquired in trade and aggregate him with other salaries and trades. It's the only way you can do that. And because the Rockets had this cap room, they just went out and kept adding player after player after player from other teams who had non-guaranteed contracts that they could then use and throw in to the Chris Paul trade. They ended up two of the players they acquired um, that way that were in the Chris Paul trade. They also got these players because um, the new CBA no longer allows players on non-guaranteed contracts to have trade value or salary matching value for trades, but that only applies to players signed under the new CBA. So the Rockets knew this was a loophole. Uh, it was actually a loophole I was hoping they would take advantage of. Uh, that because all these little non-guaranteed contracts they acquired were signed under the old CBA, they could still be used in trades now 
uh, as non-guaranteed salary where they could count for salary matching rules, but the new team can just waive them. Uh, so it's a nice loophole that the Rockets were exploiting. Uh, obviously, I've talked way too long about this tiny little loophole, but uh, I think it was ge- a genius move by the Rockets um, to do that and then make the Chris Paul trade, which then pushed them over the cap. And for those that are lamenting, well, why'd you have to give up Beverly? Why'd you have to give up Lou Williams? Well, as we spoke about on the last podcast, the Rockets were going to have to clear a ton of salaries to open up the cap room that would have been necessary to sign Chris Paul outright. So pretty much all those guys would have had to be dealt. Maybe you could hold on to a Decker or a Harrell, but um, especially if you're not moving Ryan Anderson, that just was you weren't going to get Chris Paul unless it was by trade. And so you're going to have to move these guys one way or another. So long story short, I think it's a fantastic trade. I hate to lose some of the, uh, you know, some of the key co- guys from last year's team, but they manipulated the cap beautifully and got a guy at eleven million dollars less. And now operating over the cap this summer, they were lined up to make a lot of moves to make a real run at the championship. Yeah, I think I was, initially I was shocked because I thought some of those assets that they acquired were going to be necessary in a Paul George trade including that first-round pick, um, you know, and, and obviously they knew more than we did as far as, uh, you know, what they could do. But I think it, it became apparent. We, we feared this was going to be the case, and we talked about this in the last podcast, but I think it's apparent that it is the case that the market's not easy as far as moving salary. Uh, I don't want to say any more, but certainly not as easy as it was in the past. I mean, we saw some of the trades and Dwight Howard, what he went for and, and, uh, you know, Mozgov dumping Mozgov. Now, Ryan Anderson isn't quite, you know, that kind of dead weight as, as Mozgov, but it's looks like it's pretty darn clear that it's hard to find a home for Ryan Anderson right now. The Knicks don't want him in any kind of Carmelo trade. Uh, Portland's apparently balking now as far as helping Houston. Um, that's going to be interesting, even though he, I think he's a good fit for what the Rockets do. Um, it's you, He's one of those guys who signed for a long term and a lot of money. And, um, you know, my point being, you were going to have to move him or you were going to have to move a lot of guys just to sign a Chris Paul. Uh, and as far as Chris Paul, he did sacrifice that money. But I think he knows he's going to get this money back um, by sign, you know, by keeping his full bird rights, signing a big deal. And to be honest, David, that's part of what shocks me about the ownership, uh, you know, that the possibly or not possibly that the team is up for sale is I wonder if Chris Paul knew that because did Chris Paul have a have an understanding that you know he'll be taken care of or something along those lines uh, a long term I'm not saying you know that that's the case but usually when somebody decides not to opt out and does something like that you think they they know they're going to be able to sign for big money and big years already now under a change of ownership um, this maybe really is a lame duck year for, for him, and he has to prove himself as far as a long-term contract here in Houston. So let's talk about the fit, and that's basically leads right into that as far as James Harden and Chris Paul on the same floor. I think you add Chris Paul. He's certainly an upgrade to Beverly in a lot of respects. I think he's in the same class as far as a defensive player, a very good defensive player. Um, you know, he does so much more, and I like the fact that, you know, they'll be able to, you know, if Harden is double teamed, you'll be able to kick it out to another guy up, up top who can run just as effectively pick and rolls, just as effectively attack the basket, score around the basket. 
He has a great mid-range game. It'll be interesting to see if that is utilized here in Houston. Um, you know, Harden had a good mid-range game as well. I think he certainly changed his game uh, to be more of a, you know, attack the basket or shoot threes. We'll see if Chris Paul does the same. Um, he wasn't my ideal fit as far as, you know, the superstar I thought Paul George was. Uh, and I would have loved to have had Paul George here. I'm really extremely disappointed he went to OKC for so little, so little in my opinion. I think moving Oladipo was a blessing for them. Even though I like Oladipo, I felt like uh, Indiana sort of did OKC a, a solid on that one. And I like Sabonis a lot. I'm, I'm a fan of his. But I certainly think they could have done better uh, for Paul George. But as far as the fit, it's just going to be interesting. It's going to be innovative. It's what the Rockets do. You're running two of the very best point guards side by side. Um, you know, we'll see as far as who guards twos and, and, and how they're going to run that. But the Rockets have a good lineup. And that what I really like, David, is they have two superstars who recruit and draw in others. As has been mentioned by Woj and other people, uh, Carmelo Anthony became a possibility in Houston because of Chris Paul. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Chris Paul is the, you know, the president of the Players Union. You know, he didn't get to be that by being unpopular with his fellow players. So, um, you know, it's nice to have a, a, a member of the Banana Boat crew on the team to, to, to re- recruit other Banana Boat members. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and we were mentioning it offline earlier, but I'm kind of kicking myself that on our last podcast, we were talking about uh, Paul George as some, uh, as one of the few star players who could be acquired via trade so you didn't have to use cap room. Um, and neither of us, uh, mentioned, I know you've written an article including him, but neither of us mentioned on the last podcast that Carmelo Anthony would be a possibility as just a guy that, is, you know, whether or not he's a perfect fit, you know, who knows, but just as a, as a star caliber player, who's just available via trade. Um, but I also, if you told me that we could do a, you know, the, a Ryan Anderson plus filler and some draft picks, um, which is what's been rumored to be going from the Rockets in, in any Carmelo trade, that that was even a possibility. I would have said, mm, you know, I don't know about that. So, you know, it, We'll see what happens and whether, you know, Carmelo Anthony's leverage and the the fact that he has that no-trade clause and the fact that a buyout would be excruciatingly painful for the Knicks, uh, whether that kind of leverage can, can, can lead to a, to a deal getting done without the Rockets having to give up any key, any, you know, key pieces other than Ryan Anderson. You know, that remains to be seen. Well, before we get into Carmelo Anthony, the Rockets made some other moves as well to sort of bolster the team. P.J. Tucker was a big one, used almost their entire MLE to bring him in. Uh, they added Tarek Black, which I think a lot of people love that move. They were a little shocked that it cost the biannual exception, the BAE, as you often reference. Um, and Luke Mabahamute, who uh, is sort of a defensive uh, wing player, uh, doesn't shoot a lot of threes, but did have his best season shooting them uh, uh, last year with the, the Clips. So... Uh, you know, he, he's a defensive guy who I think, uh, you know, D'Antoni wants to be able to, to turn to. I think that's the, the problem with the Rockets. They're going to be more powerful offensively, we, we assume. But are they going to be able to plug in your defensive guys to, to improve that on that side of the ball? And that's where they hope uh, Tucker, Mabamute, 
uh, and possibly some black uh, step in. I think black fills in that third center role, possibly means that uh, Chinanu Onuwaku has not really panned out quite yet, not, not that they're giving up on him, or they're possibly dealing him. Um, but obviously to use the biannual exception on your third center uh, does send a message that they didn't feel they had that on their roster. Uh, sure, and, 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 and to kind of echo your sentiments on the on the, the defensive additions, uh, I, I love what they've done. Um, you know, I, I think there was a, a there were times last year when you know you're running your best players out there, James Harden, you know, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon's a decent defender, but Harden and Anderson are clearly subpar defenders. Um, there were times when I just felt bad for Trevor Ariza out there trying to do do you know Ariza and Beverly just trying to, to trying to hold their own defensively uh, with some with some weak links playing next to them on that end of the court. I, I think the Rockets have done a fantastic job bolstering their defense. Um, you know, it, let alone Chris Paul, who you know if you're going to lose Pat Beverly. Um, the only guy you could have gotten where you're not going to get a defensive drop-off is Chris Paul. Um, you know, I think other than Harden, most of the lineups out there are going to be very strong defensively. Um, you know, if Ryan Anderson's still on the team, you know, then he, he's still on defensive issues, but, you know, you wouldn't have to play him 35 minutes a game. Um, I, I love Tucker's uh, toughness. Uh, he's a guy who can guard twos, threes, and fours. I think they're going to play him a lot at the four. And, and you know, I've reported on it earlier, but uh, he signed a four-year deal for almost all the mid-level, but the last, the fourth year is mostly non-guaranteed. So it, it, if he declines, I mean, he's in his early 30s right now. If he declines towards the end of the deal, you can waive him, and you're only paying like $2.5 million the last year. So basically it's like a three-year, $26 million deal. Well, he turned out $40 million plus from to to re-sign with the Toronto Raptors in order to, because he thought he had a better chance to win with the Rockets playing with Chris Paul and James Harden. So Tucker left a lot of money on the table. Um, Tarek Black, I really like him as that third center. Uh, and again, on this team with Nene, who's got injury concerns and, and, and needs nights off, uh, that third center is a really important uh, you know, uh, spot in the rotation. Uh, I think he gives you strong defense. He can get out. He can switch a little bit. Uh, he, he can you know, bang in the post. Um, I, I like what they got in him. And the more I thought about it, at first I thought, okay, a oh, great minimum signing. And then when it came out that they used the biannual exception on him, and I was like, well, you know, that's still a decent value. I think, you know, the Lakers almost kept him at $6.5 on their books this year. It was a tough call for them to cut him. Um, and you know, he might have been able to do better than the biannual with another team. But one reason, um, and I haven't mentioned this before, but one reason why getting him on the biannual exception is actually might be preferable for the Rockets long-term is that with non-bird rights next summer, they could sign him to a, mul- a multi-year deal. Uh, they could re-sign him next year to a multi-year deal that starts around $4 million. They could not do that if they sign him for the minimum unless they're dipping into their, their mid-level. And if they're going to be, if they're going to be a tax paying team, they're going to have a, a really big salary, the uh, team salary, they're not going to be a lot of avenues for them to get players for more than the minimum, except for just that taxpayer mid-level. So this gives them a chance to re-sign black at a more manageable number or a number that he'd be willing to agree to. So it, you know, Capella is going to, he's going to cash in next summer. So 
one, are they going to pay him? Probably, but it's going to be a really big figure. Or does some team come in with a godfather offer that the Rockets don't match, and now all of a sudden you need to have a center, and at least having the option to bring Black back you know, is, is advantageous at at that kind of non-bird number over the, the biannual. So uh, I actually like what they did by signing to the biannual. Yeah. Then um, uh, Bamute, I'm thrilled. The veterans minimum, um, you know, he, he was a starter for the Clippers last year, another very strong defensive player. And, you know, not the best shooter, but like you said, he had a decent three-point shooting season last season. But another guy you can throw out there. I mean, you got Ariza, you got Tucker, you got Bamute, you got Chris Paul, Tarek Black, you know, Clint Capella. You got a lot of really good defensive players out there, and I just really like what they've done with this roster. Yeah, as, you know, as far as the center, uh, you know, we'll see if Golden State's willing to uh, move Jordan Bell next year. Maybe they could fill that spot then, but. Yeah, you know, <laughs> to the Jordan Bell ref, I was saving it for later. <laughs> I'm telling By the way, we are on. What are we on day twenty-five of 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 Dave Hardesty uh, uh, Jordan Bell watch? I'm know? still mourning that we still, one. Yes. We still don't have him. I'll be. I'll make sure I'll uh, to drop in a Jordan Bell reference in every podcast. You know, as far as PJ Tucker, I think that's the one I love. I think you're gonna be able, you're gonna see him be a thirty-minute night guy and try to anchor the defense. Um, he, they loved him in Toronto. He's, he was great there. Uh, you know, over the time that he's you know signed, like you said, maybe he does decline, but it sounds like he has a very favorable contract based on what you said. I love the fact that, you know, Paul and Harden being here made it so that you're able to, to lure him in for a little bit less. Um, I, I love that move. I thought it was a really good addition. Uh, you know, and I, I agree. I don't see necessarily a problem with Mbamute and Tarek Black. They're both, uh, you know, cheap additions that could contribute. I think the Rockets have done a good, good job of building a good rotation uh, and now adding some insurance guys in Black and, and Maba Mute who could step into the rotation as as needed. Um, and it leads us to the be- next big upgrade. You know, David, nobody is mentioning Ryan. Oh, let, 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 me, let me tell you one other thing on, on Tucker that, um, you know, not only did he leave a bunch of money on the table with Toronto, um, he took less than the full mid-level exception, which actually gave the Rockets an additional bit of room to sign Joe Chi, uh, who otherwise they could have only signed to a two-year deal. It allowed them to sign him to a four-year contract. And while they're guaranteeing the first year at the rookie minimum, he's making the minimum for the next three years totally non-guaranteed with a team option on the fourth year. That contract cannot be signed unless Tucker takes less than what he easily could have gotten on the open market. So that was another win for the Rockets. Yeah. And then I'll be remiss if the if you know my salary cap nerdiness did not at least touch on the on the Nene deal. Um, the Rockets had a deal lined up with Nene for the full, for, I should say the the, the maximum non bird contract they could possibly offer him. They were going to give him. Uh, four years, $15 million. And unfortunately, Nene was born 18 days too early for that contract to work. Um, and it violated what is now called the over 38 rule uh, in the CBA. And so they ended up having to drop the fourth year on that deal, sign him for three years, $11 million, which is still a massive, massive uh, steal 
for the Rockets because especially the way Nene played in the playoffs against Oklahoma City, um, he could have easily gotten double that on the open market. And the Rockets have him locked up long term for a song. Yeah, that third year is probably he's probably not going to be, you know, Play. playing a lot of minutes by that time. But yeah. but even then, they got him for a song and just one more great win for the Rockets this summer. Yeah, and I think that's what was frustrating for Nene as, as we saw. I mean, he looked at it as just losing four million dollars, period, because I don't think he plans on playing that fourth year, or you know, the the likely forecast is that he won't still be playing in that fourth year. Um, so I thought it was, you know, great of him and it showed, uh, how much he wanted to be here. So that was a great move. I would agree with that. Uh, you know, and before I talk about Carmelo, I guess we do need to talk a little bit about Jochi and the summer league. You know, I thought the summer league, I pretty much eat anything the Rockets throw out on that plate. And this was boring me to tears. I mean, I, I just, I wanted to see Cam Oliver, Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, Jochi, you know, just shined to sort of take over and it ended up really being, you know, Isaiah Taylor and Troy Williams. And, you know, we know those guys. So what I like about summer league is getting to see players we don't normally see. I thought there were a little bit of flashes. Uh, Hartenstein had some great passes, was I thought a little bit better defensively than I uh, expected. Um, and Jochi, I will say this. Um, I didn't think he had a great summer league. I do think, I see now why the Rockets signed him now for that long-term deal. I think, or or the three-year deal, as you mentioned, I do think he'll be doing most of his developing for the majority of that. I don't think we'll see him uh, emerge as some uh, immediate contributor, but you can see if he develops along the line of a capella, as far as rapidly and, and, and getting used to the speed of the, of the the NBA game and uh, you know, adjusting, he has enormous potential. He's not afraid to block shots. Uh, you know, I, I thought he would shy away from contact. That's not the case. He's fairly mobile. Um, you know, he's not afraid to shoot the three. He didn't shoot it very well at all. I think he was two for 18, and his first two were in the first that he made were in the first game. Um, and he didn't really show anything outside of that. But a big man who who isn't afraid to shoot threes, and wh- whether he starts making them or not, we'll see, uh, and who can block some shots, protect the rim. I mean, that's just moving towards that trend of getting big guys who are versatile um, can defend and hit long range shots. So, you know, it's, it, there's no sure thing here with Jochi whatsoever, but I think he's uh, a good roll of the dice outside of that. I wanted to see more from Cam Oliver. I saw some positives. They obviously signed him and, and uh, you know, hope can be, he can be, you know, contributor likely to RGV this year. Um, and Hartenstein, obviously they, they want to stash overseas. But other than that, I, I was pretty bored in summer league. What you're saying is a team that had zero first round picks on it didn't have anyone that really stood out. <laughs> exactly. Well, you would think though, still some of these guys would, I, I would have thought, you know, they get to that level of competition can, can step up. Yeah. There's no, uh, you know, Lonzo ball or, or what have you, but there's, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to see some guys, um, you know, make bigger contributions. But, but I will say on, on Jochi, on Jochi, agree, you know, he's got potential, but he's a long-term project. And it, they do him for four years. So that, so even if he doesn't develop right away, they, they have him for a long time. I thought it was so a three-year deal. Not a three-year deal, it's a four-year? Uh, four years. Wow. Fourth-year team option. That's League minimum all the way. Only the first year is guaranteed. It's about as as 
team-friendly a contract as you could possibly have. That's pretty amazing, actually. I was totally under the assumption it was a three-year deal. Four years, and then I take back. I take that back as far as the majority of his contract being developing. It may still be the case, but I was thinking it's going to take him probably a year, year and a half or so to uh, to really develop. But um, yeah, then very smart addition. I mean, a seven-foot-eight wingspan, David. I mean, that's that's nuts. I mean, you can you can work with that, and let's just see if. Uh, if he can develop into what they hope he can be. But, uh, yeah, total project at this point. And even if he doesn't develop into anything, they literally are paying the least amount of money they could possibly pay a player for a full season of NBA basketball. So unless you have anything else in the summer league, which I didn't, like I said, feel like there were too many draws from that, i got to jump into Carmelo Anthony because nobody's talking about Ryan Anderson. No one's even mentioning him as if he's part of this team. Uh Chris Paul's already taken his number. He's going back to 33. Uh, you know, is he going to be here? I mean, we'll, we'll see. But uh, all signs point to Carmelo Anthony being traded to the Rockets. Can the Rockets find a home for Ryan Anderson on the market? It's very tough. As mentioned before, he's got three years, $60 million left. I believe Bobby Marks mentioned last night, uh, or possibly it was even uh, this morning, just said that, you know, last year it looked like a decent deal. And now it's uh, it's overpriced, and that's just the way the NBA changes. I thought last year's contracts were going to look better at this time of year, that we were going to see even more outrageous contracts this summer. We didn't see that at all, uh, or, or I should say it wasn't as quite as lucrative or, or quite as widespread, um, and now it's harder to move some of these deals. I think you have to find a team that's that at least believes they're contending to take on Ryan Anderson or they're getting significant assets for taking it, taking that contract. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree that, you know, no team's just going to take him for nothing unless it's a team with that can't get anyone to sign there. And one example I gave, and we had talked about Sacramento on the last podcast, but they, um, I think, wisely for them, used their, most of their cap room on, on uh, uh, George Hill and, and Zach Randolph um, on, on actually relatively decent deals under the cap. But um, one possibility, this is pure speculation on my part, where you might be able to dump Anderson. And I, I, I kind of feel bad saying that because Anderson's actually a decent player who's, you know, conducive to a successful NBA team. But um, the Brooklyn Nets still have about $16 million in cap room. Not enough to just take Anderson for nothing, but um, would if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're having trouble attracting free agents, they last the trade deadline, they took on a really bad but smaller contract with Andrew Nicholson, who makes about $6.5 million a year uh, for the next three years. Uh, they got a first-round pick in the deal. It was the Boyan Bogdanovich deal, where they traded Boyan Bogdanovich and ate the bad contract of Nicholson and got a first-round pick for their troubles. Uh, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, do you take Ryan Anderson in exchange for Andrew Nicholson? And the net effect there is Anderson's only coming in at like $13 million a year. Anderson at $13 million, that's about what I think he could get on the open market this summer. So the, the the question is, do you if you're Brooklyn, would you take him for like an Andrew Nicholson with a net effect being a, a decent 
size contract for Anderson that, that's not outsized, you know, and the net effect. And then would the Knicks take Nicholson, who is a contract, you know, probably going to sit at the end of the bench, but actually makes less than what the dead cap hit would be if they bought Melo out. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to find these scenarios, but that's one that comes to mind, you know, where the Knicks might have to eat a smaller bad contract, but still it, it's better than buying Melo out. So you mentioned Brooklyn. Are there any other teams that, ha- that still have any sig- that still have significant cap room to, to facilitate a deal here? I mean, you have like the Phoenix Suns uh, have a bunch of cap room. Uh, depending on what the Chicago Bulls do, they're operating over the cap now because they have a really big Jimmy Butler trade exception. They might be able to drop below the cap um, if they, you know, let their free agents walk. Um, but the, the the number of those teams are dwindling. I don't know if Phoenix has, Phoenix might have a place for Ryan Anderson, but they have a lot of young forwards uh, they're trying to get minutes to. So I don't know if they're a great fit. Uh, Brooklyn just stands out, stands out to me as a team that just makes the most sense because other than Trevor Booker, the Nets have nothing at power forward. Um, it was just from a basketball standpoint. They don't have their first-round pick this year, so it's not like they're going to tank. Um, Brooklyn just makes all sorts of sense. Um, and watch, it's going to be anyone but Brooklyn because I think it should be Brooklyn. But uh, that's the team I'm kind of looking at very heavily. Well, and it makes um, it, it makes a lot of sense though because they've already done two trades like that. But you know, like what assets do they acquire for taking that on? Because uh, you know, uh, we saw that with they, I think two years, thirty million dollars left, and they got a first and a second round pick. They took Mozgov, got D'Angelo Russell for the trouble. Um, what significant assets do the Rockets have? I mean, Sergio Yule's rights. I mean, what, what's out there that's you know significant? Well, I mean, I think that's why the Andrew Nicholson scenario um, is intriguing to me because, you know, unlike the the Damari the, the Carroll trade um, where they got a first and a second for eating the $30 million of his deal, you're, in this case, Brooklyn would be ridding themselves of a bad contract to get a bigger bad contract but a significantly better NBA player. Um you know, I think Carroll's got a lot. Carroll's got a lot of uh, injury concerns. I mean, I, personally, right now, I would say Ryan Anderson's a better NBA player than Damari Carroll. Um, and in the Carroll trade, the the Nets weren't ridding themselves of a bad contract. Here, you're taking on a better player than Carroll. The Nets are are ridding themselves of a bad contract. And so maybe that lessens the the compensation they would need. Maybe they wouldn't need anything. But yeah, you do have things like Yule's draft rights. You have Hartenstein, who there's a reason they took a, a stash prospect because it's an ongoing trade chip. They have that that for uh, next year that they they traded their 45th pick for. Um, you know, they have the, the 2020 first rounder, although I think that's probably going to New York. Um, but I mean, they have bits and pieces here. The, the, the question is, do they add up? Um, and you know, who's to say? I mean, obviously, if if, if it all added up perfectly, there, there'd already be a trade made. But, well, I tell uh, you what, if if they if New York, I mean, it depends on what New York takes on in that deal. If they get a first rounder for Carmelo, that's that surprises me because I think he's still a I still think he's a buyout candidate. And I think to you know, I look at it if they're able to move 
Carmelo, let's say, and not take on, you know, significantly more salary, that they'd do, be doing better. Uh, I mean, if they end up getting a first-round pick, I'd consider that a pretty good deal for them. Um, I don't like the the idea of the Rockets moving their 2020 first-round pick. I would understand it, but uh, I just don't like it. I don't want to see the Rockets uh, moving first-round picks that far into the future. It is kind of interesting. Although, Dave, we, 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 we talked about it on the last podcast, and something we kind of skipped over, a fairly important, important Rockets transaction this summer, a reason they might be more willing to part with that 2020 first-rounder, they signed – James Harden to another long-term extension now. He's going to be with the team through at least 2022. Um, he he now has the, between his prior contract and his new extension, he has the, the biggest contract in NBA history. Um, he's not going anywhere. And odds are the, the, that pick is not going to be a lottery pick, um, which makes him a little more willing to, 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 to part with it. So, I'm with you. I hate trading uh, first-round picks deep into the future, but for Carmelo Anthony, when when the salary you're having to offer is, is Anderson's, which is a, a, an over, you know an overpriced contract, you're going to have to have the sweeteners like that. So my guess is they're going to have to put that 2020 first-rounder in uh, for New York to, to for it to be worth their while. But, you know, if you can do it for Ryan Anderson at first, that, you know, that might be a trade that's worth making. Well, yeah, if they're taking on Ryan Anderson at first, I just feel like any team that's taking on it, I mean, maybe, the Brooklyn scenario, maybe you mentioned that's interesting, but I feel like, you know, if they're not the ones taking on Ryan Anderson, they don't necessarily need to get a first-round pick. But we'll see how it goes. Um, well, in, in, my, in my scenario, they'd be taking, they'd be in the first-round pick, Couple non-guaranteed contracts, and then Andrew Nicholson's bad contract, but it's a lot smaller than Anderson's. So again, and, and a lot smaller than Carmelo's, right? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Sure. And, and, and keep in mind the alternative for them: if they buy out Carmelo, he's owed fifty-four million over the next two years. My guess is if they buy him out, he's not leaving a ton of that money on the table. So let's say he he agrees to he agrees to leave four million on the table. So they buy him out for fifty million. Well, that's going to be either uh, a $25 million cap hit in each of the next two years, or it's going to be a $10 million cap hit in each of the next five years. So that that would just be an absolute catastrophe for their cap over the long term. Meanwhile, Andrew Nicholson is $6.5 million for three years. So, and he's considered one of the, I mean, it's not a huge contract, but one of the worst contracts now in the league. And that's better than if you bought Melo out. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting as far as with the ownership situation. Are you going to be willing to trade uh, first-round picks into the future like that? But, you know, does adding Carmelo Anthony, given that you've traded uh, 2018, 2020 first-round picks, make them more attractive as a as a, an asset overall, if we're going to use that term? Um, but it'll be interesting. I think the Knicks have almost no leverage. Carmelo has the no-trade clause. Uh, the Rockets, I mean, they could wait this out, see if it's a buyout, end up keeping Anderson and get Anthony. Um, that would be an interesting scenario as well. But I, I, you know, I'm not sure. Obviously, the safest way to get him is to 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 trade for him. But I just don't feel like the Knicks are in a position of strength. They pretty much put themselves in a very bad situation, giving him a no trade clause, uh, and he's got the Rockets and and the Cavs as his options, and and that's it. And they're not liking. Uh, what they're being offered, and 
they just I just don't think they're going into the season with him. I think they're they're ready to move on and they're ready to to start over as an organization. I don't think they're going to do another Carmelo Anthony season. Um, so it might just come to a buyout. Although I, I do think from the Rockets' perspective, a buyout is not the best scenario for them for two reasons. Number one, if he gets bought out, he could just as easily sign for the minimum with the Cleveland Cavaliers as he can sign for the minimum with the Rockets, which is the only thing the Rockets could offer him at this point as a free agent. And number two, if he comes as a free agent, uh, the Rockets wouldn't get his bird rights. So if they sign for the minimum for this season, uh, they they would have no cap for next season if they're going to max out Chris Paul um, and Clint Capella is going to get a massive raise. So uh, it would basically, it could just be a one and done for Mello with the Rockets if he's bought out. So getting those bird rights is, is a pretty big deal. Um, uh, w- one thing I'd be remiss if I didn't mention is that um, because the Rockets use the full non-taxpayer mid-level on P.J. Tucker and Joe Chi, they are hard-capped at the apron level, which this year is a, a little over $125 million. They are inching closer to that number with each signing that they make this summer. And if they do a Ryan Anderson plus non-guaranteed salaries for Mello, that's going to push them pretty darn close to that hard cap. So something they're going to have to be mindful of this summer, if they are able to trade for Mello, that they are going to be somewhat hamstrung uh, with what they can do going forward. Now, they, they've kind of played all their cards with giving Black the, the biannual, and you know, luckily they got Bob Mute on the, on, on the vet men. But it's really going to be just veteran minimums, and even then, they can't really just start doling those out to a bunch of people because they're hard cap. Hard cap is what it says. It's a hard cap. Um, they, they can't just uh, exceed it by signing more veteran minimum guys. So uh, if they make the mellow trade, um, they're going to be very close to that hard cap. Well, this summer has been nuts. I think, you know, Daryl has talked about for a long time that you need three elite players to uh, contend for a title. That's almost without exception. I mean, there are exceptions. I mean, look at the Rockets in 90, 1994. Um, but I think that's the the way of the the NBA these days. You've got to have several uh, fantastic players to make it happen, and that's what they're hoping to do. And, and adding uh, Carmelo, Chris Paul, and and uh, James Harden, having that that trio with all the, the uh, necessary role players around them. We'll see. I, I still think, you know, if they add those, you know, if they add Carmelo to, to Paul and Harden, it's still a notch below Golden State, but they're an interesting team and in that they at least have some defensive options they can roll out. As we mentioned, Tucker, uh, Ariza, Mbamute, Capella. Um, I just feel there's going to be something missing as far as a, uh, a toughness at the four position. Tucker maybe can fill that role. As small as he is, uh, maybe he can. You know, but just having somebody who can match up with the Draymond Greens of, of the world. And let's well, let's be honest. There's one Draymond Green of the world, right? But just somebody who can who can at least uh, provide that type of uh, defensive play. I'm not sure they're they're quite at that level yet. But firepower, they have it, um, and we'll see if they'll they'll uh, be able to make this this third edition but i i think as you know rocket fans you're seeing people swarming to the board um they're excited i mean the astros are on fire the texans at least look you know they're they're 
somewhat exciting with a new quarterback that they they hope to eventually roll out. But the Rockets, I mean, they're a loaded team, and they're going to be a hot ticket this this season. Couldn't agree more. And, Dave, with all the increased web traffic, when are you putting in your bid to buy the Rockets? (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, let's just say I'm going to need to be in a very, very rich group, okay? And I will have – Probably a percentage that would not even register a blip on the radar in this the paperwork that's done. I will need you to draw the paperwork, um, and I'm sure. pretty I'm pretty sure you you could buy a bigger chunk than I, I could. My, I will offer my legal fees for a five percent stake. <laughs> yeah, right. What a bargain. <laughs> Well, it's funny, you know, we see these local Houston names being thrown around. I just, I don't think any of them are going to be, I I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I just don't think any of them are going to be in the running because I think somebody's going to come, you know, just crazy money is going to get thrown uh, their way. And I think it's probably, again, I'm purely speculating, but I think it's probably going to be somebody overseas who ends up buying this team um, who is looking at it as a, you know, for lack of a better term, a, a, a play thing. Uh, you know, there's only one of 30 of them, and it's something they can put up on their mantle and and, and gives them, um, you know, bragging rights, for lack of a better term. And I think it's rare to find that Mark Cuban, that super rich guy who's, who's from the area, who, you know, loves uh, where it is and everything. So I would love it to be somebody local, uh, somebody in Houston, who understands the, the roots of the, of the team, understands its history, uh, what it means to the fans, because, look, nobody wants to go through what we went through in, in 1999 and 2000 when Jeff Balke, I think, really stepped up uh, with the Save Our Rockets campaign and, and kept them here. And that was a big part of uh, of what, you know, was uh, of why they stayed. I mean, we couldn't get an arena built here. Um, now we have one. It's first class all the way. Um, and, you know, the fans are great. And I think, you know, I, I just don't want to see anything threaten that, even if it is not for several years down the road. I want to see somebody uh, own it who really understands its roots. Um, I just don't want to go through anything that, that like, you know, a team like Seattle ever went through. So, And, and, and if I, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. I think Jeff Balke re- reported recently um, that lease, the, yeah. the, the Rockets deal with their, their lease with Toyota Center that they can't leave Houston for at least 15 years, right? Correct. I think it's up to 2033. And so I feel good about that. I just, I just want to see somebody, in my opinion, who that doesn't even come into play. You know, that that just it's Houston, it's it's home, uh, and it's and it's local. And I just that's what I would like to see. I mean, whether that's Tillman Fertitta or Mattress Mac or you know or somebody who you know played for the team. I mean, Yao Ming, if he wants to get a group of investors together, that'd be fantastic. I, I don't, you know, or Akeem or or somebody along those lines. They'd have to get a, a group together who have way more money than they do but um but they could you know be the face of a group and so um it'll be interesting to see what uh what happens from here but it's just i still mentioned this before david i just think the timing's so unfortunate you're right here on the cusp of like the carmelo stuff does that even slow it down you know do are you when you're in the middle of a sale are you sort of in lockdown as far as making significant moves about the future of your franchise which you mentioned a 2020 first round pick adding a guy like Carmelo who's who's uh, you know significant money i don't think it slows it down but it, it's a fair question i think that certainly it's broached you know and so for them to throw it out then right then i thought that was a little bit unfortunate but uh, but understandable he's owned the team for a long time he's done a great job Bought the team for 85 million. It's going to go over, over go for over two billion, so he's going to be just fine. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about Les Alexander financially. Yeah, well, you know, I said we we got a chance to speak to Les Alexander after the Chris Paul press conference. I thought he was very short, very brief. Like his answers were just. Uh, it didn't even seem to, to show much excitement. I'm not uh, knocking him. Maybe it just wasn't, you know, his day. But he just didn't seem uh, all that thrilled. I think people. Somebody asked him if it was one of the best days in the organization. I don't. I don't think he had like you know, um, you know, too positive of an answer on, as far as that. But um, you know, it, it to me, uh, I guess it's just his time. I think he's been a brilliant owner, a great owner, um, overlooked because he's been mostly hands-off, um, and that's been, I think, great for fans. So let's, knock on wood, hope that the Rockets uh, you know, are able to find a buyer who represents Houston and um, can you know, continue to push this team forward. Can't agree more. David, thanks for doing it, man. I know we, got, we had a ton to talk about this time. We'll probably be talking after they've got Carmelo in a, in a Rockets uniform, the key to a championship formula, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, and we'll check back in and see if uh, Jordan Bell is still not on the oh, Rockets. Oh, yeah, time. absolutely. I mean, that's I'm checking that in every morning just to see, have we acquired Jordan Bell? When can he be traded, by the way? Has he signed yet? Uh, the second-round picks can be traded after only 30 days. So, hey. you know, you can you can fret over this starting very soon. Let's make this happen. I mean, I think that's Daryl Morey's biggest failure, not trading for Jordan Bell after Golden State acquired him. We, he needs to make this happen today. This is key. I, I really think Jordan Bell is going to be something – but I'll make sure to drop his name in, like I said, in every podcast moving forward. I can't wait. <laughs> Thanks again, David. We'll do it soon. All right. Take care, Dave.